Ryan from the Nerd Book Review, and today Chris and I will be bringing you an author interview, uh, Rob Hayes, the author of the Ties That Bind trilogy, among others. He is a finalist in this year's Spiffbo 2017, and we had uh, a good, fun interview. Now, once again, there will not be a book review ahead of time. I feel like we are doing plenty good talking about the novels as we go through, and this one is already clocking in about 50, 54 minutes of actual interview time. Um, I am trying to rein in my times a little bit, and hopefully the rest of these uh, the book reviews to come are more in the 30 to 40 minute range. Um, I have had several people tell me about how they'll prefer to listen to these during their drive, and I know that at least in my area, about 40 minutes is a pretty, pretty normal drive time. Before we get to the interview, I will give you the usual spiel. You can reach us. Uh, at nerdbookreview at gmail.com. You can contact me on Twitter at nerdbookreview, on our Facebook page, The Nerdbook Review. If you type in nerdbookreview on Google, you will be able to find us. If you would be so kind as to leave a rating and review, that would be oh so appreciated. Uh, it is so important to be able to get your name out there, to have those ratings and reviews. And uh, without them, your name just doesn't appear on lists and things like that. Just like authors need their uh, reviews on Amazon and Goodreads, especially Amazon, to get on the uh, algorithms. Uh, Podcasters, especially on iTunes, need their reviews as well. After these two interviews in a row, we will actually be bringing you three book reviews in a row. Virtual Light and Snow Crash. I felt like those two were similar enough that I wanted to air them back-to-back. And then I will have Jade City coming up after that. Uh, That was quite the fun read. Then we will get back into more of a usual uh, interview and book review routine. Um, I have actually one more Spiffbo interview now that will be airing uh, in the middle of May, about the 13th probably, uh, with Brett Herman. And then after that, we will uh, hopefully the next review after that I'll bring you will be Deborah Wolf. Uh, I'll be reading her book here pretty soon, and uh, we have an interview tentatively set up. So really excited for what's coming up. Hope you guys have a good one. And without further ado, here is Rob Hayes. The Nerd Book Review is happy to welcome Rob Hayes, author of the Ties That Bind trilogy. It Takes a Thief series, and his newest series, The Best Laid Plans Duology, which includes Where Loyalties Lie, which we'll be talking about today, and which is a finalist in Spiffbo 2017, and The Fifth Empire of Man. How are you today, Rob? I'm um, good, thanks. Uh, yeah, just uh, ready to get this podcast on. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. And uh, this will be our first uh, episode for... Uh, Interview, that's the word I'm looking for, an interview <laughs> with uh, three of us on. Um, I have my buddy Chris, who does the uh, reviews with me as well quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> you bet. So, Rob, could you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Yeah, well, uh, I'm, uh, I'm obviously from England. You can tell from my accent, no doubt. Um, and... I've just I, I've been writing um, for about 15, 15 years now I think sort of you know mid thirties and uh, it's just something that I've always I've always loved doing I've always loved reading stories um, and I've always been a massive dreamer as well I uh, I'm one of those one of those people who sits and stares out windows constantly and just dreams um, so it seemed like a, a sort of natural progression to to move into telling some of my stories. Um, especially as I spent most of my working life 
being a keyboard jockey at various banks and whatnot. It's not exactly the most fulfilling of careers. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm an accountant. I understand completely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just typing in numbers all day. And uh, it, it, it was not, not, not for me. Um, so uh, I went to, to, to university and studied zoology, of all things, um, which was fun. I, I, I liked I like getting to, to learn about sort of um, animals and behavior and everything. But that wasn't really what I wanted to do either. It was just uh, a different thing for me to try. Yeah. Um, but then it was actually when I was I was trying to, to, to make it as a zoologist, which is a rather tough field to get into, to be honest, um, that I, uh, I went to, to, to Fiji and lived on a desert island for three months. Oh man, that's got to be interesting. It certainly was. Um, there's, you know, there's no electricity where we went, um, apart from a little generator which we we used to uh, get all the dive kit ready to, you know, compress the air for for diving. Um, and yeah, just just living on a desert island beach with, you know, cooking on an open fire, washing pots in the sea, washing ourselves in the sea. Um, yeah, it was uh, it was quite interesting. But while I was there, I uh, I took a, a few notebooks with me and I started started writing while I was um, just sort of like sat there on the beach, looking at you know sun coming down over the uh, the waves. It's very beautiful, very picturesque. <laughs> and um, that's when I sort of I started started writing properly and started trying to turn stories into cohesive masses rather than just disjointed ideas um so i got back from 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 fiji and i set about writing um still went back and back and worked today a bank for another <laughs> couple of years to uh to support myself but yeah after that i just sort of i, I really buckled down and that's 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 how i started my career as an author um, which is pretty much where it leads to today. <laughs> so then, how would you describe your writing style? Um, very character-driven, I think. Um, it, it, yeah, I'm, de I'm definitely ve a very character-driven uh, author. I like to get into the heads of the characters um, and try and leave the world building up to be a bit more sort of natural and expressed as much as I can through the characters and their interactions rather than through sort of, you know, massive info dumps or whatever. Um, so yeah, I very much concentrate on the characters and what makes them tick, um, what they want and, and how they interact with the other characters within the world. Um, you mentioned that, that you like to do uh, a lot of reading when you were younger um, who were the uh, your favorite authors, and who were your influences as you were growing up? Um, I think it's hard. It's, it's one of those. It's like when you when you list your favorite authors, it's such a fluid thing, isn't it? Um, it changes from one year, one day to the next, almost. But I remember the the first fantasy author I ever I ever read was um, an English author called Robert Jarvis, who wrote the Deptford Mice trilogy. Um, starting with the Dark Portal, which was a series about 
well, mice, to be honest, um, and <laughs> they're battling the sewers against a cat. Um, it's quite sort of aimed at children. Um, yeah, you're not the first uh, British author who has mentioned that series as we've done uh, interviews, and I had never heard of it myself. No, I, I think it's it's quite a lesser-known one, um, especially as, I mean, when I first read it, it must have been early 90s, maybe, so it's it's going back quite a way. Um, but, uh, but my mother actually bought me um, that book from the library, well, brought me that book home from the library, The Dark Portal, when I was ill one day. And uh, I sort of read it, devoured it completely. So she quickly went and had to find the next two in the series. And that was, that was certainly where my, that was my first introduction to, to reading fantasy. So that's probably got to be one of my favorite authors from as of when I was a child. Um, I must admit, I haven't read the books more recently um as i'm a bit older i'm not entirely sure that it's one of those things you look back with a certain amount of nostalgia on those things but if you uh if you read them again they might not be quite the same we speaking of just the animals i'm just starting to read the Redwall books with my son and i have to say i'm really surprised with how um adult those novels actually i mean how good the writing is and how much you can actually still enjoy them as an adult and it's kind of funny to, to think about that, you know, as a, my favorite children's series that I am enjoying reading with my son. I, th- I think it has to be. I mean, if you think about some of the most successful children's series, I mean, look at Harry Potter. It, it is technically uh, a book for children. Um, I'm probably going to get a few people disagreeing with me there. But it introduces a lot of adult concepts such as death. Um, and other ones I must admit I've not read much past the first half of the first <laughs> Harry Potter but I've heard a lot yeah <laughs> so I, I think that even the best um, books aimed at children have to have some sort of adult themes to them because they help introdu- introduce the, those themes to, to us as we grow up um, things that we need to learn um, I must admit, I've never actually read the Redwall series either. Yeah, I am. Um, it's it was what got me into to fantasy in the first place. And the what's funny is is that they're. I mean, some of these the, the Redwall books come in at like between like three to five hundred pages, and he called them children's books, but said that you know what, a kid needs to read a real book, not a <laughs> uh, you know like a little fifty page with mostly pictures. I like that. I completely agree as well. So many of the books these days you see for kids, yeah, they're sort of like they're tiny little things. I'm just like, no, no, read a massive tome. That will that will keep you going for a while. <laughs> Do you have anyone that you would say your uh, writing style could be compared to or who was an influence on uh, specifically your writing style? With how my writing style could be compared to, that's <laughs> it's got to be Joe Abercrombie. Um, I've been compared to Joe Abercrombie so many times. It's I've lost count um <laughs> some of them are quite favorable comparisons people are like oh yeah it's pretty good it's like you know yeah. i think somebody said i uh i out abercrombie abercrombie i like that one <laughs> um, but then other people are a bit less so where you know you get called a abercrombie clone that's not quite so fun <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it's true um we do have I, i've 
read most of his work myself. We do have quite similar styles. Although I will admit when I was writing my first trilogy, The Ties That Bind, I had never even heard of Joe Abercrombie. Um, it wasn't until I finished my first book and you know I went to my best friend and went, read this, I wrote it. And he went, all right, try reading this. It's by Joe Abercrombie. I was like, never heard of him. And it turns out that, <laughs> yeah, we were quite similar in style. So I think that's, that's definitely... Um, the closest comparison, although I've also been compared to Scott Lynch once or twice, which I'm not entirely sure how that one holds up. I think it's because we've both written heist books, but his are a bit darker, mine are lighter, <laughs> fluffy. Yeah, you, you know what's funny is is that I, I love grim dark novels, but I kind of sometimes feel like a slight bit of a poser, but because I never have read Joe Abercrombie, and I, sometimes I'm like, oh, I really just need to break down and actually read one of those novels. To be honest, you don't have to. I mean, yeah, okay, he calls himself Lord Grimdark, and that's pretty much his moniker. But there's so much <laughs> Grimdark out there these days that, you know, you you could read Grimdark for the rest of your life, and you could still never get round to reading uh, Joe Abercrombie because it's, it's become something of a movement of its own, and you know, there's more coming out every year. And I must admit, I don't read a lot of Grimdark. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I read some things which which get lumped into grimdark things like Mark Lawrence and the like, but I I, I don't go out my way to go. I'm going to read a grimdark novel. Most of the stuff I read is just sort of epic fantasy or whatever. So it's not <laughs> it's certainly not something I go out of my way and go. I'm going to look at reading grimdark, but then I never went out my way to write grimdark either. It just kind of happened. <laughs> well, you did uh, mention your uh, the ties that bind trilogy. Let's go ahead and talk a little bit about your. Um, other your earlier series before we get into talking about best laid plans duology okay um well i've got i've got two other series of books there's my it takes a thief um books which are very much a steampunk heist adventure series um with a uh, a thieving couple uh they're charlatans um professional charlatans who take on the guise of, of the nobility and try and fleece them for all of their wares. So that's, where um, the, that's probably where the Scott Lynch uh, comparison comes in then, I'm I, guessing? I think so, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's that sort of gentleman bastard sort of uh, theme, but it's a, a lot lighter. It's, it's my, it, it was my palate cleanser after I wrote The Ties That Bind. I needed something a bit lighter to write, so I went to... It takes a it takes a thief um, to catch a sunrise. Is the first book in the series, which I say it's a steampunk heist adventure. I, I class it as alchemy punk. There's no steam in it. It all runs on alchemy. Um, but there's still sort of airships and um, constructs and or you know magic, but it's not magic. It's it's alchemy, which is magic by another name, really. Uh, <laughs> um, so that, that that's my my lighter series, my fun sort of series. Um, the other one that which is my debut uh, trilogy is the Ties That Bind. It's set in the same world as Where Loyalties Lie. Oh, okay. And uh, Best Laid Plans, um, and it, it's actually set um, about the events. The, the events um, from the final book in in that trilogy uh, take place about one year before the events of Where Loyalties Lie when they start. Um, but it has a very different feel to it. It's very much a spaghetti western um, in a fantasy world. <clears throat> and are there uh, are there things that are noticeably tying those two together at all? Um, yeah, I mean, there's 
there's a few um, few areas such as the kingdoms. Um, it, it's mostly set in uh, in the in the untamed wilds, which does uh, feature very slightly in Where Loyalties Lie and the sequel. Um, but then it's also set a little bit in Sarf, which is um, one of the antagonists, as it were, in Where Loyalties Lie. There, it, it's one of the kingdoms that's setting out to try and wipe the pirates out. Um, there's also a few characters that cross over, um, but only ever in quite minor roles. Um, one of the main characters in Where Loyalties Lie is Captain Drake Morass. He does appear in The Ties That Bind, but he has quite a minor role in it. Oh, that's fun. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll look forward to getting to that. Uh, and there's also the, the Inquisition and its witch hunters, the Arbiters. Um, the Ties That Bind is a lot more about <clears throat> the Inquisition. And uh, one of the main characters is, in fact, one of these witch hunters who is um, sent by the God Emperor to try and root out heresy within the Inquisition itself. Oh, that actually sounds uh, super interesting. Then I'll definitely have to get started on the Ties That Bind trilogy then at some point. I, I definitely think you should. It's a very good book. I think everybody should should go out and start it, to be honest. <laughs> I bought it. I'm waiting to waiting to get through a few other things, but then I do want to give that a try. Yes, the, the dreaded to, to be our pile. Yeah. <laughs> it never goes down. It only ever goes up. Exactly. That's true. And having a, a podcast uh, certainly doesn't help that TBR pile there. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, uh, the, the, the self-published fantasy blog off hasn't helped the TBR pile uh, for me. Um, it's only increased it. I, I've bought quite a few self-published self-published books that I've heard of through, through uh, the Spiffbo. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. No, I have gotten just completely into it and really enjoyed, um, I'd say, probably oh, um, a good solid 50 to 60% of my favorite books from the year were just off of what I've read from Spiffbo for last year. That's as many books as I read last year. <laughs> <laughs> I must. Admit, I'm, I'm actually reading Tiger Lily by uh, K. Bird Lincoln at the moment, and yeah. I'm quite enjoying it. So let's go ahead and talk about your uh, Spiffbo finalist then, uh, Where Loyalties Lie, which is the first book in the two. And what was the second? Uh, Fifth Empire of Man is the final for that, correct? Yes, that's that's it. And the Fifth Empire of Man that was a finalist for uh, the Booknest.eu this year, correct? Yes, it was. Uh, they, they were both actually nominated in the shortlist, um, but only only Fifth Empire, which I, I will agree, it, it's a slightly better book. Anyway, uh, <laughs> that one made it into the the shortlist, um, which was quite nice. Yeah, didn't win, but I, I believe uh, Heart of Stone by Ben Galley won it, which is obviously it's well deserved. It's a very good book. Which actually we are going to be doing a book review on as soon as we're done with the interview. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So uh, let's go ahead and talk about a synopsis of uh, Where Loyalties Lie real quick then. Okay. Um, so Where Loyalties Lie is uh, it's about the, 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 the pirates the, of, the, of the world, the pirates of the Pirate Isles. Um, they find their, their way of life is under threat um, as the other great kingdoms of man in the world have gotten fairly tired of all of their ships being pirated constantly. Um, you know, the, 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 the population of pirates is just too high for the seas to handle. So the, these other kingdoms have started sending naval ships and troops into the isles to burn the pirate towns. Um, but this means that the people who are most 
under threat the people who are dying aren't actually pirates at all but they're just the the good folk who happen to live in the line of fire yes they support the pirates but uh they're not pirates themselves but it's the only way for the the navy to actually strike at the pirates um so the 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 main character is captain drake morass he's a bit of a rogue uh to say the least, um, but he doesn't see see what's happening as a tragedy. He sees it as an opportunity, um, as a way to try and unite the other pirate captains into the greatest navy the world has ever seen, and to forge a kingdom out of the pirate isles. Obviously, with himself sitting on the throne, because you know he wants to get something out of it. Um, <laughs> but the problem is, he has a bit of a reputation. Everybody knows that Drake Morass is only out for himself. So his first um, course, his first part of action is to recruit a gentleman pirate, Keelan Stillwater, to help lend some respectability to his cause. And then all the while we have other, other captains like uh, Captain Tanner Black, who is determined to either take the pirate throne for himself or at the very least see Drake dead before his ass gets to touch down on that throne. And uh, that, that's sort of a basic synopsis without giving any, uh, giving too much away. I think. Yeah, sounds good. So Drake, he's going to be the the character who you know he seems pretty sure of himself, at least from the outside, and um, he's going to you know kind of be your the main guy that, that moves the story along. But Keelan is going to be your your person that really is going to have the conflict and is going to I guess be the conscience of uh, this series. How did you decide on, um, you know, how you were going to go about that with the two? Well, I mean, with Drake as a main character, uh, he's been described as a sociopath by some people, which I can see. He's <laughs> he's very much a dashing rogue with a silver tongue, but he is out for himself. It's not that he doesn't have a conscience or anything, but he, he always puts himself first. Um, so when you write that, you, for, for a start, you, you need a... a you need a character that other people can, you know, get behind as well, uh, which is where Keeling comes in. He's he's more of a gentleman pirate who prefers bloodless conflict. He's yeah, he's the, he's the conscience of of the pair, as it as it were. He's he's the one who is has more respectability within the pirate community, so they'll actually listen to to Drake when he says, you know, we're trying to unite the Isles for the good of the Isles, and everybody else is just like, yeah, yeah, you're out for yourself. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. With, with Keelan behind him, he's a little bit more respectable. Um, so it was, uh, yeah, that, that's why I had to create those two. But Keelan himself is struggling to to reconcile who he thought he'd be, he, you know, as a child, he always imagined himself to be more of a, a Robin Hood style character. Um, this stealing from the rich and giving to the poor, but real life isn't quite like that. So as he's grown up, he's found himself more of a, a pirate who steals from the rich and keeps it for himself. <laughs> so he, a, a lot of his, story a lot of his heart arc is trying to reconcile who he thought he would be and who he has become along the way um even as he's also hunting for revenge for the death of his sister so he has quite a complicated arc <laughs> yeah yeah i think i liked that drake was um just so straightforward i think that uh keelan even though you know he's gonna have that conscience but 
I always liked how Derek interacted with him. That was kind of like, yeah, you know, you try to be a gentleman, but you're still a pirate. Oh, yeah. Drake, Drake very much sees the world as it is and sees Keelan as he is. Um, you know, so he he's more than willing to admit, yeah, you can try and pretend that you're doing things for a noble cause, but at the end of the day, it's all greed. You are doing, you, you know, you're, you're a pirate for yourself. You're not a pirate for anybody else. Um, and what you do is still piracy. You can try and take ships as, as in bloodless conflict as you can, but when they fight back, you kill them. Um, and I think that that's one of the sort of the main themes behind the books in general. You're, you're on this. Yeah. As, as a reader, you're on the side of the pirates, but they are pirates. They're not good guys. The, these aren't your yeah, pirates. So they are Caribbean Jack Sparrows, you know, uh, type of pirates they're, they're very much more realistic pirates who they they do sail sail the high seas take ships kill people steal from them um so in that sort of sense it's it's a lot more like uh, black sails than it is pirates of the caribbean i think uh, you're on the side of the bad guys there's there's no doubt about that so, so with that, with that, let's let's do the. How would you describe this novel? Because it does touch on uh, quite a few uh, genres, I guess. Yeah, it's it's definitely grimdark on the high seas. Um, again, it's not. It's, I, I never set out to write grimdark, but when you're writing from the perspective of pirates who pirate people, it's hard not to be. <laughs> um, so yeah. It, Grimdark on the High Seas is a good one. Uh, I think, yeah, Grimdark Pirate Flintlock Fantasy, I think, uh, <laughs> it's quite a good one as well, actually. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a little bit long, but uh, but I think it sounds pretty good, though. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the, the, the Flintlock just about um, covers it. There's there's definitely some pistols and, and rifles in there. Not many, but a little, a few of them. Yeah, I do have to ask a question, though. Um, I think that my uh, I, I was hoping to see uh, a little bit of a like ship cannon battle, but um, how did you decide to go with having like the small guns, even though you didn't have like any the ships don't have cannons? Yeah, um, it, it's sort of it, it's because that's the way I set up the world. I I, I never subscribed to the idea that uh, this fantasy world that I'm creating has to follow the the same technological progression as the real world. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, it is your, uh, it's your right as the author. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so when I was creating the world, in, when I was first writing The Ties That Bind, um, I wanted pistols, um, admittedly because I had witch hunters. Um, <laughs> I think that, that goes back to uh, when I used to play Warhammer as a, as a kid. And obviously the, the, the witch hunters in Warhammer have you know, pistols and swords and fancy hats and long coats which I quite, I, I like that image. So when I was creating these, these witch hunters, I wanted them to have pistols and, and swords. Um, so the way that I, I sort of sculpted the world is the fact that pistols exist, but they haven't yet got round to creating cannons, <laughs> which uh, doesn't quite follow the traditional uh, route. But it's... Uh, it's also because the the black powder that they they use, the sort of the gunpowder um, that they use, is actually very rare. Um, so they they simply don't have enough of it to have massive multiple um, ship sort of cannon battles going on. 
Okay. And so I think what it basically boils down to is I didn't want canon battles. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> and does that so so the ties that bind trilogy, which um, you said is part of this world, is it the same kind of thing where the, where there's just not a ton of people with guns then because of the, the just not a lot of gunpowder availability? Uh, absolutely. In fact, I have to remember now. It's been a while since I read it myself. I'm fairly certain in the ties that bind there is only one character with a gun. It is in fact the the main character, uh, the the Arbiter, the the witch hunter. He's the only one who actually carries a gun, I believe. Well, that makes yes. sense then. Indeed. So with um, Well Oldie's Lie being set a sort of a year later, guns are a little bit more um, available. So there's a, a few characters that, that wield them, um, but still not many. So uh, I have to imagine that some of your time in Fiji influenced kind of this island setting. Uh, were you able to bring much of that into it? Um, I like to think so. I <laughs> I loved my time in Fiji. I really did. I um, it, you have the idea of every, everybody has their their sort of happy place, that place they just sort of retreat to inside their own heads, as it were. And <laughs> mine's definitely a sort of desert island beach, sitting in a in a hammock, staring out over the lapping ocean waves and all that lot. Um, so I I. I I think that, that's part of why I wanted to sort of do this sort of pirate world, well, pirate series, because I do love the island setting, that sort of mm-hmm. beaches and separate colonies um, of people all around a localized uh, nautical area. Mm-hmm. I, I spent three days in Fiji and am just desperate to get back. <laughs> yeah well uh, to be honest i spent about three days on the mainland in fiji the rest of it was was on this island so Mm -hmm. i i I saw very little of the mainland of fiji Mm -hmm. it was literally got there shepherded into um a hostel for a day and then onto a boat and then i was gone (laughs) and then on the way back we got hit by um, a cyclone which was quite interesting oh yeah i'm sure (laughs) <laughs> I, I missed my plane um, but funnily enough the insurance company didn't refund me for that because the plane still took off I just couldn't get to it because there was a cyclone between me and the plane you got to love insurance companies um, <laughs> well let's talk dialogue how did you decide on how you wrote that dialogue and was it a pain to make sure that you kept it consistent or did it just kind of come natural a little bit of both um, one of the things I wanted to do in, in, in my, uh, my first Earth uh, series, which is currently The Ties That Bind and uh, Best Laid Plans, um, I call them the first Earth saga, just because I have to click them all into some sort of world in some way. I wanted the, the dialogue in the world to be as realistic as possible. Um, you know, none of those thou art and nary this. And all that. Uh, I'm trying to stay away from cliche, cliche dialogue because... I find so often in fantasy books, um, at least maybe not the, the newer way for them, but some of the older fantasy books, you just you read them and you just think people don't talk like that. It just it, it fits the sort of Lord of the Rings style of fantasy, but the, the sort of newer fantasy, sometimes you read it and just like it sounds so, so cliched and just so false the way that the characters talk to each other. They're, they're just there trying to get across the, the information for the scene and then separate. And that's something I really didn't want 
to do in 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 the world. I wanted a more natural style of dialogue. Um, so things like, for me, TV shows like Firefly were a massive influence in in how I was trying to build the the, the dialogue for the world. Um, one of the things I love in Firefly is how people get stumped. Some of the characters that they're, they're not always there with a witty quip to everything. Uh, I always remember that there's a, a scene. I think it's actually in the film Serenity, where you know Mal Reynolds asks Jane, "Do you want to run the ship?" Jane says yes, and then Mal just goes, uh, "Well, <laughs> you can't." <laughs> it's not a witty, witty, you know, quip or anything, but it's it's, it's, it's hilarious because it's just so real. Yeah. He has no reply to it. So he's just like, "You can't." <laughs> yeah. Well, that's uh, one thing I think is a like it really is a strength with, for your novel is absolutely. that your characters are so real, and um, I, I someone put up on the uh, Spiffbo that uh, like they, the amount of cussing uh, per novel, and uh, <laughs> you I think you might have had uh, more f bombs than everyone else had um, cussing completely uh, with the other nine novels. It might I think that was how it worked. Yeah, I, th- I think I had more more than the rest of the I don't know if I'm allowed to say that on this one uh, than the the rest of. Um, the Spiffo finalists put together. I blew them out of the water. It's, it's correct. But you know what? It's funny. Actually, I'm really surprised that you don't have a, a, at least one or two one-star reviews on um, Amazon or Goodreads. Uh, I don't think you do at all, but based, I'm not surprised you don't have one just based on I started reading this novel and then there was just so much cursing. I don't know why that would be necessary. I'm really surprised. Maybe it's because you have pirates that people are like, okay with it? or <laughs> People expect it. Well, uh, in, in all fairness, that's only for this series. If you go back and look at the ties that bind, that's a very different matter. I have quite a lot of uh, lower reviews for both cursing, having sex in my books, <laughs> gratuitous violence, all sorts. In fact, my it's my very first one star review was from my own uncle. <laughs> oh um, man, <laughs> he's he's a devout Christian, um, and he had no idea what to expect when he picked up my book. He just knew that his nephew had written a book, so he picked up <laughs> the Heresy Within, and after the first chapter, he decided to. Uh, Put it down, and rather than just leave it there, he actually left. He decided (laughs) (laughs) he he left a one-star review uh, that even mentioned that he was my uncle. That's amazing. That is. Oh my goodness. Um, That's the greatest thing I've heard. Yeah. Well, uh, a few of the other people who had read it uh, had a bit of a go at him for it on Amazon. You know, you can leave the comments on reviews. They they had a bit of a go for it, so he took it down. Uh, so I, I had to, I had to give him a ring and, and just sort of say that I'm really sorry that people had to go at you there. Um, <laughs> oh man, that thank is you amazing. for at least trying my book. Funnily enough, though, he has also read my It Takes a Thief books and he loves those ones. <laughs> wow, they only swear in French though, so that's okay. <laughs> I that's that's probably the funniest thing I've I've heard in an interview so far. That is that's amazing. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was my very first one-star review from my from my very own uncle. So. Oh man! So <laughs> so yes, it, it's not that I don't get those for for the bad language and and whatnot, but uh, they seem to have. Uh, 
I've not been hit with them for where loyalties lie yet. Maybe it's just not popular enough. Once it gets to the mainstream, that's when it will happen, I reckon. <laughs> yeah, that's when or, you know you've made it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> or maybe I think everybody maybe. who's picking it up so far expects it to, to be a bit grimdark and have a fair amount of bad language in it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, you know, it's funny because um, sometimes when I see those reviews and it's like, and people say, oh, you know, like, this isn't necessary. Like, I work in a, a pretty uh, blue-collar profession and... Um, and with a lot of the, the people that, that work for me or that uh, that I interact with. And, I mean, it's not unusual for... I've got one guy that works for me that uh, legitimately dro- manages to drop three F-bombs in one sentence on a regular basis. <laughs> so, uh, so it, like, that is how people talk. I think sometimes when you get people that work in, a, like, a white-collar profession where you have to, to worry about uh, the language you use... Um, don't un- don't realize just you know like <laughs> I'm sure a pirate's gonna be talking that way. Well, that's just it. It's like I mean I I I I've always grown up around swearing. It's just it happens. You know, some of it's worse than others. There's there's like a ranking for which which words are worse. <laughs> you know, with the f bomb and the the c word at the top. I think. Um, but. It, it's just it's part of life it's if if you try and go through life without hearing swearing you're going to be just pretending that you don't hear anything so i i see no problem with having swearing it's just another part of language yeah um absolutely and it seemed so natural that pirates would yeah um there is one uh a scene that i think we should talk about um just because it's it's in there and i think it serves a purpose but you do have a, a pretty uh a brutal rape scene, but I think that it kind of serves to to show just how bad one person is, you know. That's that's certainly part of it. I I I, I mean, it serves a few purposes. Uh, it's it's a semi graphic, but not gratuitous scene. I'll, I'll put that right there. Uh, and it's not it's not there to sexualize sexualize the act or titillize it in any way. It is a horrific scene, and it is meant to be just that. It's meant to be horrific. It's meant to be horrible to to read and it was quite horrible to write um but it 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 sets up both characters incredibly well um this this is going to be quite hard to to talk about without a few spoilers but um it's 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 it shows so much of um elena's arc as one of the 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 characters in one of the point of view characters who grows a lot throughout the story and especially more so in the sequel. Um, it shows so much about where she's coming from as a character. She, she has quite severe uh, daddy issues um, in that she believes her father can do absolutely no wrong. She idolizes him. Um, and, and that scene is very much the, the first step in the erosion of that, of the way that she, she sees her father. Um, and from that scene onwards between her and her father, every scene is a struggle for dominance between the two of them. Um, and, you know, not to give too much away, but I, I think the arc concludes quite well towards the end of the second book, but it is a fairly horrific scene. Um, but it is meant to be just for anyone that's listening. Like it, it, it's a, it's, it's uncomfortable to, to, to read, and like you said, it was probably uncomfortable to write, but it's not like meant to, to titillize anybody and, and it's that you don't feel, you know, you just feel uncomfortable while you're reading it. Exactly. It doesn't sexualize the act in That's any way. Yeah. It 
it it straight up points out this is yeah it's uncomfortable and it's horrible yeah. and it shouldn't be happening so you mentioned that her arc continues let's talk a little bit about the fifth empire of man I'm not sure what you want to ask about that. Is it? <laughs> well, I guess I guess without being like too uh, too spoilery, I know that like that it was a finalist and the, and you considered it a little bit better, but I, I, it's because the, the books are so heavily linked. It's um, they are it's very much a duology, and book one is very much a, a book one leading to a book two. They're they're very much entwined rather than being sort of two separate stories along uh, a main overall uh, overarching story. They are very much one story. Okay, that yeah, that's a that's a off. that's a good way to, to to get into that then, because a lot of these, um, I, I just I, I wrote a uh, very uh, ineloquent question right there that, uh, and then I <laughs> pointed to Chris and said, "Hey, you asked this question, so sorry, Chris." <laughs> oh, that's all right. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so it, so your um, Chris has actually started reading the Fifth Empire of Man, and uh, but so yeah, so it's just a book that uh, um, that does that finishes basically just one longer novel that's broken into two is a good way to look at that then. Yeah, I think so. It's it, it yeah, it, it very much it starts exactly where um where Loyalty's life finishes. So there's 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 no real uh break in between the two novels. Um and it completes a lot of the 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 arcs and the story points that were set up within the first book. Um and also helps to develop some of the characters and their motivations a bit more. It, it changes focus in many ways. The The second book is more about um, Elena and a couple of other characters and puts Drake a little bit on a back burner. Um, not that he's not still in it, but he, he has less screen time, as, as it were, in, in the second book than he does in the first. And it also it touches on a few different um piratical tropes there's there's more about the 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 hunting for treasure type thing um than uh than there is in in where loyalties lie uh so that very much x you know digging for buried treasure x marks the spot type thing i've got a bit of that in there um and there's also some very big ship battles which are quite fun cool um you know i want to ask you then I thought you had always been self-published until I asked for your uh, for the audiobook to to the to the novel, and you said that you didn't have the rights to it right now. Um, so you were actually with Ragnarok at first. Uh, no, I was originally self-published. Oh, okay. Um, when I first started out, I in 2013, I think it was. Yeah, I've been at this game for about five years now. Um, I self-published the Ties That Bind. I released it as all three books in one go. Um, uh, th- this was before Kindle Unlimited, uh, which is good for authors. <laughs> um, I released all three books uh, in one go and sort of put the first book on for as cheap as possible, um, and then the second two books on for a more reasonable price. And it sold quite well. Uh, I think in two years I sold something like 50,000 50, books, which I was Man. quite pleased with. Yeah. Yeah, that was admittedly, you know, quite good. Um, and then I, I was approached by a, a, f- a few different um, publishing houses, um, one of which is actually in Russia. The first book in the trilogy was translated and published in Russian, which was quite nice. But another one of them was uh, Ragnarok Publications, who were this uh, fairly new but um, very professional-looking uh, 
independent publisher. So I signed with them thinking that they would help me access more of the American market because the majority of my sales had been in England. I hadn't really uh, sold too well in America ever. So I thought they'd help me access that, that market a bit better. But things did not go entirely as planned. Um, <laughs> uh, and I think overall it was quite a bad decision um, due to stalling releases, delays, um, and a few other things. But the thing that sort of broke the, the camel's back, as it were, for me was they they signed a contract with Audible on my behalf for Where Loyalties Lie, which was they were originally supposed to publish. Um and they they never got around to editing where loyalties lie so then when audible came asking for the manuscript they just gave them an unedited version that's not professional at all uh no it was not and it's it angered me quite a lot to be honest uh which i think is quite reasonable so the the version of where loyalties lie that was made into an audiobook was made from an unedited manuscript that uh, as far as I, I see it, it's it's an unfinished manuscript. Um, the story itself <clears throat> isn't any different, but the it's it's nowhere near as tight as it was as it is now. Um, you know, there's there's bits in there that have been removed because they didn't work. There's other bits that have been added because some bits needed expanding upon. So that, that sort of broke the camel's back, as it were, and I decided to, to leave Ragnarok um, in January of last year and then set about being self, get myself self-published again. So, yeah, not, not, not the... Uh, the experience the that you wanted to have. <laughs> no, not really. Uh, it certainly soured my, my, my experience with independent publishers, but uh, it's, it's not stopped me entirely. Um, I, I do have a novel coming out at some point this year with uh, Crossroads uh, Press. In fact, uh, it's my first foray into sci-fi, which is a bit different for me. And where do so. you plan on going, I guess, then um, in the future? Are you going to continue with your, uh, Is it? did you call it First Earth? Uh, yes. Um, I've, I've got a number of sort of uh, projects um underway but first earth is is my sort of big fantasy epic um which is a the, there is a an overarching story being told across a number of different series starting with the ties that bind and ending somewhere down in the future uh with best laid plans being the second one and then sometime this year i'll be releasing the next book in first earth called city of kings which um, is a it's it's a book which is centered entirely around the siege of of a, of a city and takes place over the course of six days um, and is it's it, it's more violent than anything else I've ever written so that's quite interesting uh, lots of blood in that one um, and that it's certainly not the end of, of first earth I've got another uh, two series planned in in the world which will uh, complete this, this arc that um, I've started with the ties that bind. So there's plenty to go on there. And then uh, a few other sort of projects in the works as well. All right. So and you said sci-fi coming up now, huh? 
yeah i've uh, i've got a book coming out this year with crossroads as i say called drones um which is a sci-fi novel uh based around the concept that in the near future um a memories can be stripped of their emotions and then those emotions can be sold um which is taken over as the sort of black market drug of choice so people can go and buy joy or buy fear oh that does sound cool yeah so the, the main character is uh, what's known as a drone he he his his profession um, is to seek emotions. So it opens with him uh, jumping off a building to feel fear, which he can then go and have stripped from the memory and sell. But they're, they're called drones because they, they move through life without any real emotional attachment. That sounds cool. Yeah. Uh, it's it was an interesting one to write actually because it's it's told all in the first person present tense, which is very hard to do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so um, do you like doing like all of the like the self promoting and and social media that you have to do for uh, being self published? It's been an experience. That's that's certainly one way to put it. Um, <laughs> It it scares me still. Um, I'm not particularly good at the the social media and promoting myself. Um, it, it, it's very much a learning experience, and I'm 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 hopefully getting better at it all the time. Uh, whether or not I enjoy it, some days yes, other days no. Uh, it very much differs depending on how I'm doing with it at the time. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think that uh, you're uh, like at least on Twitter, which is where uh, you know I do most of my um, social media stuff. Um, that you do, uh, that you're pretty active in without uh, being ridiculous or anything like that. <laughs> I, I, I try to tweet once a day at least. Um, you know, I, I don't often hit that. I don't think, but <laughs> I think I'm more active on Facebook than I am on on Twitter. Uh, but I'm, I'm trying to sort of get better on that. And it's just, it's, it's such a, an odd place, social media. Um, and I really don't understand it that well, but I'm, <laughs> I'm trying. Uh, there's, there's no end of sort of uh, groups and all of that lot to, to join and to learn from though. So whether or no, I, 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 some days I enjoy it. Some days I don't, it, it really depends. Um, I don't think I do too badly with it, hopefully. Well, I guess uh, as as we're kind of coming to a close here, I, tell us a little bit about how your experience with Spiffbo has been. Is it uh, is it improving your sales, getting your name out there? <laughs> it's actually really hard to tell if it's improved my sales. Because um, uh, Where Loyalty's Lie was actually released mere days before it was entered into um, the Spiffbo. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, it was, it, it was good luck that um, Mark Lawrence announced uh, the start of the Spiffer that, and it just so happened to coincide with, uh, coincide with me releasing the book. So it's hard to tell if it's increased sales because, essentially speaking, it's it's always been in the Spiffer since it was uh, <laughs> first released, yeah. and it was only. Um, no, it was a month or two after that that I re-released the first series, The Ties That Bind. So 
um, with me re-releasing all of my books self-published this year after the Spiffo started, it's it's impossible to tell whether it's actually uh, helped with sales. But I, I like to think it has. It's it's obviously gotten me a bit more uh, a bit uh, more reviews with with bloggers and whatnot, and uh, I'm sure it has helped get my name out there. So I think it probably has helped in in that regards. And it's the the spiff boat itself has definitely helped me connect with uh, uh, more people in the writing community. Um, both the other other finalists, um, other entrants, reviewers, bloggers, uh, all sorts. I mean, I, I've I don't think a week goes by where I don't have a conversation with uh, James Tivendale from Fancy Book Review. Uh, these days and we'd never conversed before Spiffo um, and uh, well Ulti's I was in his group uh, Fancy Book Reviews group um, and he's the one who sort of sent it through and now yeah we sort of uh, we chat most weeks I think yeah he he's actually pretty fun to interact with on social media I interact with him a little bit here and there as well he is he's uh He's quite opinionated, and uh, <laughs> he, uh, he's, a, he's a very good source of where to find uh, good books and, well, good authors as well, actually. He, uh, he introduced me to another, uh, another author called uh, J.A. Andrews, who is a noble bright author, the you know, arch enemy of, of us <laughs> grimdarkers. Uh, but her, her book was actually a, the, the, the close runner-up in Fancy Book Reviews group. Yeah, she uh, um, she was my second interview I did. Really? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. But um, yeah, so I, I sort of I chat with her occasionally as well. Um, we're arch enemies, but we do we do chat with each other, so that's good. <laughs> oh yeah, I will agree. <laughs> your your books could not be more different. No, I, I think they're they're very much the antithesis of each other, to be honest. Um, <laughs> but, so yeah, we, we we like to be arch enemies. It's quite good. And then yeah, you know, other ones like. Uh, I, I, I found uh, M.D. Presley, who wrote The Woven Ring. Um, Great book. Who was, I believe, the runner-up in Fancy Book Critics Group. Yeah, and that was actually my first interview I did as we, as I just keep on, <laughs> as we keep on going down the names of people. I'm just name-dropping all the people you've interviewed now. <laughs> uh, but, but through him, um, he, he's setting up a uh, sort of initiative called uh, Sigil Independent, which is a group of self-published authors who are trying to mimic the quality of traditional published series. Um, so the idea is that if you see Sigil's emblem on a book, you know to expect um, a, a decent cover, a, well a well-edited book, and uh, you know hopefully a decently plotted tale with realistic characters, but that's always very subjective. One's person, one person's uh, gold is another person's garbage. So um, yeah, it was through Spiffbo that sort of um, he got in contact with me, and I'm now part of this this group, this sigil independent that he's trying to set up. So that's great. I, hey. I think Spiffbo has definitely helped with meeting new contacts as well as getting my name out there. So it's been a, a wonderful thing that Mark Lawrence has set up. Yeah, it really is. Uh, before we leap off the subject of MD Presley, I, I have to ask, will we see a uh, soundtrack for Where Loyalties Lie? Uh, there's already been one. Has there? Is it on MD Presley's website? 
I think it was actually the first soundtrack uh, that he did on the thing. So yes, I I have yeah. uploaded a, a Where Loyalties Lie soundtrack. You can you can <laughs> find that. <laughs> I want to make sure I get all of your uh, social media that you'd like to um, maybe have people look at uh, in one place as well, and then I'll add, include um, them in the show notes as well. Okay. Um, there's uh, on Facebook. You can find my my author page, which is uh, the Heresy Within, or you can probably just find me as Rob J Hayes. I'm, you know, happy to to accept friendly invites and all that lot. Uh, over on Twitter, it's at Rob of the Hayes, and then I'm fairly certain I have a Pinterest account, but I could not tell you what that is. <laughs> Fair enough. Do you have a website as well? I do. It's www.robjhayes.co.uk. Alrighty, and then like I said, I'll include those in the show notes as well. Excellent. Well, Rob, hey, uh, thank you so much for coming on and doing the interview. Um, I think it went surprisingly smooth for uh, two people that we hadn't uh, done an interview together. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and, uh, you know, it was quite fun, and uh, I don't feel like I said anything too stupid, which is always a good, good thing. <laughs> All right, well, thank you so very much. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, thank this has been me. great. All right. Cheers. Have a great day. <laughs> you too.